listening to the Pastor Chat Podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Dadeville. Welcome. This is episode four of season two of the Pastor Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Forrest Jones. I am Zach Brown. And I'm Ben Hayes. All right, this week we are talking about Back to Better. That's right. Which we talked a little bit about last week, but we are now at that moment where we have come back. We had our in-person in Sunday school for the first time um, last week. And the first time in, uh, what, seven months? March 15th. Since yeah. March 15th, man, it has been a long time. I know we were talking the other day about the fact that none of us going in knew that it would be this long and that it's been kind of a crazy thing. So that's true. All right. Well, Brother Ben, you were really in the hot seat. You had to bring the first message back as we kind of got back to better. So uh, why don't you go ahead and summarize that for us and we'll jump right in. Kind of interesting uh, the way you uh, introduced it because we did talk a little bit about it last week. And uh, today we're going to be talking about it more specifically but it uh, reminds me of the the word that I shared on Sunday. My wife challenged me on it, uh, I believe, on Monday, because uh, I talked about the word akarit in the Hebrew, which is is talking about uh, the future uh, in the verse of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. But uh, what I said about that word is it is like a man who's rowing a boat. You are backing into the future. You're looking at where you've been, but you're going in the direction of, of where you're headed. And uh, Sonia actually told me, she said, now, why would you be backing in if you're rowing a boat? If I was rowing a boat, I'd be going the other direction. And so, uh, you know, it's really one of those funny things that, that you had to be there, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I tried to explain to her that when you're rowing a boat, you have your back to the direction that you're actually going. And uh, so I used the, told her when she got on the uh, rower at the gym that when she was pulling, that was like the oars were in the water. And she finally understood what I was talking about. So, yeah, I think, but, I think it's. Rowing a boat, not paddling a canoe. Right, yeah. exactly. There's the difference. Anyway, we're talking about going back to, to better, and it really is a matter of, of looking at your perspective because uh, most of us have talked about going back to normal, and, and normal isn't all that good uh, when you, you think about it. Normal is, is status quo. Normal is just kind of treading water. And uh, what we want to do is is we want to move forward in uh, the direction God has for us. And when I was uh, preparing for the message for uh, probably about three weeks, I was uh, praying and, and trying to figure out which direction I wanted to go, how I wanted to approach this. And we talked about really about programs and ministries and vision statements and mission statements as we were talking about getting to this point. And um, that's really kind of the direction I wanted to go and talk about what we needed to do, to do as a church. But in reality, as, as God just moved in my heart and he, he brought me to this passage of Scripture, it was more about uh, what is better for us. And um, typically in, in churches, we think of better as being uh, numbers. We've got more people in attendance. We've got more people coming to Sunday school. We've got more people walking the aisle. And there's nothing wrong with numbers. Um, I think that as, as uh, church leaders, we have to monitor the numbers to make sure that we are still on a, a trajectory of reaching people and, and doing uh, things that we need to be doing. 
But at the same time, we can't allow that to be the overwhelming uh, focus of, of uh, our, our measurement of our success. Um, and so what I think that we, we need to understand in terms of better is God's better. And what God's better is it's always about his presence, uh, whether you're talking about uh, his presence in the garden, whether you're talking about his presence with Abram and Sarah, talking about his presence with Moses and the children of Israel. It's all about his presence. And Jeremiah 29, uh, 11's gotten a pretty good uh, uh, going over by a lot of uh, ministers and pastors, and they tend to get it wrong. Uh, they tend to, to look at it in terms of uh, prosperity. And uh, that's not what God's promising when he says, I, I have plans for you. Uh, many of our translations say plans to prosper you and not to harm you. But in reality, what his plans are, are plans for peace. His plans are for uh, future. His plans are for hope. And, and that's really all about his presence. And uh, that's what uh, the message was about. And that's what my goal is uh, for the remainder of this year and for 2021 is that we get, uh, we go back to that better and experiencing his presence and finding the health that we need as a church and uh, just uh, strengthening every aspect of our ministries so that others can experience the presence of, of God. Yeah, think about when we're looking at this passage in Jeremiah and just the, the idea that yeah, if we just said, well, God was going to take them back. You know, they've, they're in captivity, Babylon, but okay, if God just said, all right, you're going to get back to what would be normal or, or whatever that would be, you think about that. The reason they were in captivity is because when they were in Israel, they were not doing what God had told them to do. They, they had strayed, um, and because of that, they ended up in captivity, and the Old Testament is full of these examples where God's saying, hey, I've given you my commands. You're not doing them. If you don't get with the program, then the the enemy is going to conquer you and there will be this punishment that comes upon you. Um, I will admit this is the first time I've ever done the read through the Bible, you know, and really made it a goal this year to make sure I did that. And reading through the whole Old Testament you just see how often yeah. God is. Re I know Zach talked with the youth the other day about this idea of like what, what the, you know, quote unquote, the, the God of the old Testament looks like versus the quote unquote God of the new Testament. And everybody's like, Oh, it says, Oh God of the old Testament. I and mean, that was that wrathful, like strike you down God. And when you read the old Testament in its entirety, what you realize is how much it's repeating him telling them like, get right. Yeah. You know, th that idea of like, even when they're misbehaving and they're, you know, they've strayed because it seems like the drop of a hat, they start worshiping other gods. I mean, yeah. That. I mean, and think about it, think about it this way in, in terms of, of believers today, 21st century church, uh, what, what is normal for us? Think about that. Normal for us is uh, getting an education, starting a career, starting a family, uh, getting houses, cars, uh, saving money, investing, all of those things. Those are the normal things for Christians. And, and there's nothing wrong with that uh, as long as we keep it in its proper focus. Uh, go back to normal in the New Testament. 
for, for believers. What were they doing? They were taking care of each other's needs. They were selling their property to pay off somebody else's debt. Uh, we have lost the true normal from what God intended for us to be, just like with the children of Israel. And so they would go through those cycles to where they would come back to what God wanted for them, but then they would stray. They would they would rebel, and they would find themselves in judgment. And the same is true today for believers. We do that. It is a constant up and down battle in our spiritual lives. And uh, that's that's the thing about experiencing God's presence. When you truly experience his presence, it is hard to go back to normal. Yeah, and I mean, e- even looking at it, I think we can all be kind of convicted in this this week. Um, as you were talking about the Israelites and looking at like the background behind again, how they ended up in this, just like y'all just said, really it was kind of due to their own rejection of God and their own worship of themselves. And, you know, we, we oftentimes, not only do we look at like misunderstandings between like the God of the old Testament and the God of the new Testament, but also believers of the old Testament, believers of the new Testament, because we think, Oh well, you know those 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 poor poor Israelites. You know they were doing all of that, and they they deserved all of that. But but I'm better than that. I I, mm-hmm. I don't fall into those same shortcomings. But some of the examples you gave. I mean, you said living life as they please rather than pleasing God. I mean, I I've, I've done that this week. Like like, right. oh, yeah. like we constantly do stuff like that. You know, cheating our neighbors, worshiping idols, putting things before God. You know, all of these things like we really easily are still falling into into these temptations to do that and to look at, you know, like, like Forrest said, when you read through the Old Testament and you see God constantly is telling his people, I want to do this good stuff for you and I want to bless you in these ways, but as long as you're going to turn away from me, I, I cannot do that. This is what's going to befall you if you continue to turn away from me. And, and we always see, I mean— you go up on on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments and come down, and you see that they are literally worshiping a golden calf. You know when they've they've been alone for minutes, and, and now all of a sudden they are falling into these things. Um, and so I was just kind of kind of convicted in that, thinking about you know again, it's really easy to to shift and look at oh well, well yeah I understand why it happened to them, that didn't happen to me. But but it really does. I mean, these are easy things to fall into. Yeah, I, just listening in this conversation struck me. You know, we, we talk about that idea that the Israelites would stray, you know, that they would be here and then they would look over at Baal or some other, you know, God, and they would look at that and be like, oh, that's that's appealing. And they would be drawn to that. And when you talked about what is our normal and you listed those things just now, I thought— that's the same list that Joe down the street that's never been in church, who's never heard the name of Jesus. And we could literally go to someplace and find somebody who's never heard the name of Christ. And that's the American dream is what you yeah, just described. Right. And and so our hearts, like you're talking about, Zach, is just they're pulling to that stuff. Um, I heard a sermon this week from Adrian Rogers. Uh, I'm in a class about preachers and, and great preaching, uh, and I definitely feel like he's— near the top of that list. And and he was talking about when Paul's in Athens and, you know, how they have a God for everything. And, you know, even the 
statue for like, all right, here's the unknown God. We got a spot reserved for him. And he was talking about how we look at that and we're like, oh, I mean, that's just craziness. And yet he, he went through the sermon and just like y'all are talking about, he, he, he pulled out, he said, well, this is the God of, you know, of sex or the, this is the God of money. This is the God of success. And it's like, turns out when we call it what it is and we don't put a fancy name on it, we're chasing those same gods right now. And, and, and when you go back to the Old Testament, it's the same characteristics. We, they just had a different name for them, you know. Well, and, and here's what we've got to do. We, we've got to, uh, as, as Paul tells us over and over again, we've got to examine ourselves. And there's an easy way to find out what you really are worshiping. There, there's an easy way to find out what your gods are. And, and we all have them. These, these false gods, these idols that we bow down to. And here's what you do. Look at how you spend your time and how you spend your money. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? And you'll discover that that's what your focus is. That's what your God is. That's what you're bowing down to. Um, and, and a lot of times it's not bad things. You know, sometimes church becomes our God instead of God being our God. Sometimes family becomes our God. Uh, sometimes television becomes our God. Uh, social media. I mean, look at how much time you spend on Facebook and, and Twitter uh, or watching Fox News. And you will discover by looking at the time and, and the money that you spend where your heart is. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. I know I've, I've used this example before. I think even in a sermon here, the, the fact that we are all discipling, mm -hmm. you know, when we think about having children, and I, that's what I've typically talked about is you're discipling your children, even if you don't realize you're doing it. But honestly, we're discipling those around us, yes. no matter what it is, because if you're passionate about something, you talk about it. You, you want other people to like it. You, so you start promoting this and that's really convicting when we realize the Great Commission is telling us to go and make disciples. And honestly, myself included, we look at our calendar and our checkbook and, and we realize, what are we using our time and money for when it comes to making disciples? And yeah, we might be doing it that we're making disciples of Auburn football or the Braves or yeah, those are just easy examples to come to mind, but it could be your political leanings. It right. could be um, a hobby. I mean, there's, like you said, it can be really great things uh, or even family vacation or something. Like we hold these things up and we say, oh, well, those are good things. And they can be great, great things. But if we're not careful, the same way that uh, money can be a good thing. You know, I mean, we can use our money to glorify God. But if our pursuit of money, you know, our love of money can become the, the, the issue. Um, so I, I think it's so telling when you start looking at your own life. And if anybody's listening to this and they think that we're pointing fingers at you and that we're not, I, mean, I can tell you right now, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I'm, we're stepping on my toes all right. day long. I mean, because I'll go and tell you, I love a good Facebook like. If I post a post and he gets a whole bunch of likes, I like that. I'm, you know, it's that, that popularity we all crave. Um, I was convicted last night. We, I don't even know how we stumbled upon it, but they're on Right Now Media, and I'd highly recommend it. Um, there's a series about Mormonism. It's, a, I think, about six-part series. Um, 
and the the icon on the screen is like their their golden angel that's on top of the temple. So uh, if you have a chance, check it out. It's definitely worth it. Uh, they interview all of these former Mormons, including the great granddaughter of Brigham Young, um, and they start talking about what really goes on in Mormonism and the history and kind of laying out stuff that a lot of people have never heard. I, I had never heard a lot of it. But one, there was kind of two things that I took away from it. One was the fact that Mormonism is a religion with no hope. I mean, just basically it is running the rat race on the little wheel until you die. And hopefully you did enough to make the light bulb light up in heaven so you get to go to the next kingdom or whatever. That, But they talked about is just exhausting because they constantly had to be doing stuff. So much so that they, every two years, you get a temple license. So if you want to go into the big temple, like in Salt Lake City or, or a few other places, you have to get a license from your local church that says, well, not church, your local group, whatever they call it. Um, so those local guys have to sign off that you're living a good enough life to get permission to enter the building because without entering the building, you can't go to the highest heaven where you get to be your own God one day. And they said, so you literally have people that just finally say, I can't do it anymore. Like I just, I give up. I'm not going to try and get a license anymore because you have to do so much. And um, I just thought about, they do all of that. And they said, oh, there's no assurance that you're ever going to heaven. It's always this, you got to work harder. You got to do more. You got to do more. You got to do more. And I thought, what a just gut-wrenching feeling that must be to constantly feel like you've got to do more to earn God's love. Isn't it, isn't it amazing, though, when you think about Mormons and uh, Muslims and um, Buddhists and, and all of these different groups that really have no hope and how hard they work to maybe get to where they want to be. And then we as Christians who have the hope, because of grace, we get comfortable and apathetic and do nothing. Yeah, that was the second thing that struck me was when they talked about it, just the level of they had this, I mean, like they're, they're having one night a week that is set aside for them to do a, a family devotion. Like that's one of their requirements. Every Monday night they do a family devotion. They have classes where their kids are learning their stories and that they have all of this set up and, and how in depth, Oh, they were like, Oh yeah, there's, there's a level like they have different levels of classes and it's all of these people are learning this lie of the devil, but they're doing it very enthusiastically because they, they feel like they need to do it for their salvation. Um, and, and all of these people in there who, who are now Christians just kept saying, you know, I, I did this stuff and I was super busy and I just basically was scared of losing my salvation. But in Christ, we have grace. We have that assurance. And it just struck me that, unfortunately, we have the greatest gift, but we're so willing to just sit and maintain, you know, the same, uh, the same thing of, um, you know, we're willing to take just manna, you know, that... Yeah. flavorless bread. It's like, oh, here you go. And we're willing to take that and say, well, that's good enough. I don't, I don't need anything else. I'll just hold on to this. Well, it's a good lesson about what is the greatest motivator because they serve out of fear. We serve out of love. And look at 
what happens to us. Uh, and I think it's, it's human nature because even in a physical relationship, you, you fall in love with someone, and in those early days, you are doing everything you can to spend time with them, doing everything you can to please them, doing everything you can for them. And then as time goes by, if you're not careful, that uh, passion fades and you ultimately begin taking the relationship for granted. The same thing we do with God, we do with our, our spouses. And that is, it's a shame that it happens in either situation, but it's true. Love is, is a motivator, but only if we keep that passion kindled and nurture the relationship. Yeah, I think, I'm trying to think who it was that used the quote. Um, but they said, you know, love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion. Um, and just that idea of at some point, the emotion is probably not going to be that strong. And that's where an act of the will is, is really at the bedrock. And while we don't have to earn our salvation because it's been done for us at the same time, as a person who's in love with Christ, which is what we should be, we should be making an act of the will. There's going to be times that the Christian walk is not easy and it's not, um, you know, I think you said last week, you don't wake up just raring to go. But in the same way that your marriage is, you need to put forth the effort every day, you know, and um, if we sit back and coast, our marriage is going to fall apart. Our Christian walk is going to fall apart. Um, it's, well, let's be honest. That's why he gave us marriage was because it's a great representation of the Christian life and, and that relationship. Yeah. And, and even if we, if we look at like getting specifically into the passage that you preached out of in in Jeremiah 29, um, again, it just kind of hit me and we've talked about this before in, in previous episodes, we've talked about it just like in meetings and in casual conversation, but this importance of like intentionality with our faith and that, you know, again, looking at I am lucky and blessed. I've only been married a year. And so I am kind of still in that honeymoon phase that you are talking about. It hasn't kind of hit that, that, that coasting part that, that we, we hear about. And, but, but seeing in people in like my family and and the way that things have have gone and other people who have been close to and, and, and their relationships, you know, when the divide really started to happen again, kind of like y'all mentioned was when, when we were kind of more content to not give to each other and just kind of looking at, at being, being ourselves or even being, being a, a taker in a sense and looking at, um, at in here and I think it's verse 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. And, and looking at, at all of these times throughout Scripture where you've got people like Adam and Eve who were walking with God and they were tempted away. And you've got the Israelites who were being led by God and they strayed. Like, like all of these times when, when we see that there becomes almost like a divide in the, the proximity between us and God, that's usually when we start being more willing to fall into these sinful habits and these sinful, these sinful acts. And just looking at this, he says like, you will seek for me and you'll find me when you seek for me, you'll find me when you search for me. And and I wonder how much 
or how many of the times when I am in those times when I am struggling, when I am feeling like I'm kind of on my own in this, I'm starting to fall into sin more so or, or, or feeling like I'm distant from him, things like that. How much of it, if I really take a, take a second to step back and look at it and say, am I searching for him right now? Yeah. Or am I just sitting here waiting for him to come and just kind of what, what we say, like, he'll come and find me where I am and, and, and he'll hang out with me here. But but am I taking that step to search for him? Am I trying to be active in my faith? Am I trying to be active in my pursuit of him? Am I spending time in the word? Am I spending time seeking him in prayer? Prayer being a big thing that you talked about Sunday, that that, that our response to God's presence is prayer. And, yeah. and, and how much of that is... Again, when we're not spending time with him, when, when we're not right there with him, we are very quick to forget about the goodness of being with him. And we start to look for that in other places. But it's really because we are not spending time with him, or at least at least me, I'm not actively trying to pursue my end of that relationship. I'm reading a book right now by Tony Evans uh, called The Power of Knowing God. And one of the statements he makes in the, the book just really hit home with me. He said, he says that God is a gentleman and he's not going to force himself on us. He's there waiting for us, but we have to seek him. And we have to seek him with all of our hearts to find him. And, and you know, one of the questions that, that people are probably asking is, you know, what exactly does this better look like? Does this mean that I have to spend, you know, a couple hours a day at church uh, every every week? Do I have to uh, do like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons do and, and ride around knocking on doors uh, all day long? Uh, you know, what exactly does this this look like? Well, if you go back to the early church, they didn't have what we would consider to be organized ministries. They met together from house to house. They would eat a meal together. They would worship together. Then during the day, they would go out and do their job. They would work because they were living in a society where if you didn't work, you didn't eat. And so as they were going out about their business, they were sharing their faith with the people around them. And so we've gotten so caught up in professional ministers and professional ministries and programs and systems and performances that we have forgotten that the Christian life is about living a lifestyle. It's not following a set of, 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 of guidelines. It's, it's not learning a pattern and, and then trying to, to imitate it other than the pattern that, that Jesus left for us. And, and that's the thing that I want us to get back to is to to come together to worship as the body of Christ, to grow our relationship with him deeper, our relationship with each other more strong, and then to use that to show the community what what being a Christian really is all about. That, to me, is God's better. Experiencing his presence, learning how to experience his presence, and then, then letting that affect every aspect of who we are as Christians. Well, you, you kind of jumped on my next question because I was going to say, all right, well, what's our what's our path forward? And I think, you know, what you're talking about, that idea of when we look at the early church, if we strip away all of the things that we maybe are used to or that we have come to think is what it means to be a Christian, and we really boil it down to the essence, you know, are we living life with one another while walking closer to Christ every day? Yeah, that's kind of the Christian life. That's what we're called to do is 
Um, everything we do, we should be reflecting Christ while we do it. And no, we can't. We're not calling for First Baptist to become a bunch of monks, right? That we spend all day here chanting and you know, and and doing all that together. But we talk a lot about how we are the church family. But when's the last time that we had somebody from our church family in our house to eat at a meal? When's the last time we saw somebody who came to visit and we said, "Hey, can I take you to lunch?" I mean, that's that's something that it's real easy to kind of think, oh, man, somebody should do that. But are we doing it? Right. You know, that that's the kind of stuff that it's not a grand program. You know, we're not going to roll out banners, the take a brother to lunch plan. Um, but how easy is that, you know, to just break bread together and live life with one another. And I think that's when you talk about that, the early church and that idea of when one of them had a struggle, they all looked for a way to, to help one another. Um, and, and sometimes we overcomplicate that. Yeah. Well, and you think about it and, and the Bible is clear that, that God has given to each of us different gifts. And, um, some people are gifted in some areas and, and some people are gifted in, in other areas. What you've got to do is find out what your gift is and figure out how to use that in service to the Father. We, we've got men in our church who are great craftsmen uh, and, and uh, they've got time. They could, they could uh, use their skills to mentor the next generation or find a, a lost neighbor and help him build a fence or help him, you know, uh, put shelves up in his garage. Uh, we've got ladies who are great uh, seamstress and they could sew and maybe they need to invest in that next generation and teach them how to hem a pair of pants and, uh, you know, just simple things like that. Use what God has given you to to make those connections and then use those connections to share your faith. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, not everybody's going to be able to stand up in front of a class and, and teach the Bible, um, so we, we have to figure out what we can do and, and do that. That's good. I like that. Yeah, I think, I think that's the, going back to the idea of sometimes we look at certain giftings and we say, oh, well, I don't have that. So I'm not called to, to serve. No, you're called to serve. It might not just be in the way that somebody else is, or we spend our time longing to be someone we're not when, um, when God has made you unique, that's the beautiful thing about it. God didn't make a mistake when he made you. Um, and so when you look at your life, he can use you. Um, and, um, you know, yeah, you might not be a very outgoing person. So maybe that's not you. You're not going to be public speaking. Okay. But can you sew? Yeah. Can you do construction? Um, you know, maybe it's, you're, you're a guy who loves hunting or fishing or something like that. And yeah, get, get with some of these youth. Let's, you know, use those opportunities, show them a skill. Um, because I know what happens. I mean, being the old, being one of the old men in the room and like this young whippersnapper to my, <laughs> just next to me, you know, we, we look at the next generation and we have, we're really good at pointing out things mm -hmm. that they're deficient in. Like, man, back in my day, Kids knew how to do blah, blah, blah. And now these young kids don't know how to do nothing, you know. But 
why don't we use that opportunity to train someone else? And then while we're doing that, we're showing them the love of Christ. We're talking with them about Christ. Um, you know, so that's the kind of kind of the opportunities I think we sometimes miss because we're looking for a program or we're looking for um, something that's listed in the bulletin as an opportunity that we right. need to come do this. Um, all right, so let's real quick. We're kind of running out of time. 2021, it's coming up quick, as crazy as that seems. Yeah. So what is one thing that you want First Baptist to be about in 2021? Is that for me? That's for that's for all three of us. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and answer. What I want uh, our church to be about is to go deeper in our relationship with with God. And here's the thing: I, I've always used this um, this illustration of uh, you've got this 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 uh, triangle, and say God is is at the the pinnacle of the triangle, and and you are on one side, and say let's let's say Forrest is on the other side. As we get closer to God, we just naturally get closer to each other. If you, you picture that that picture of the triangle there, and and that's what I want to see happen uh, to, to grow closer in our relationship, deeper in our relationship, and in doing that, grow closer to one another, and that will enable us to reach our community. And then, so my thing would be kind of kind of similar, kind of playing off of of what you said, Brother Ben. We are spending a lot of time with our with our students really trying to hammer in and focus on discipleship um, and what that looks like, what that means, um, taking it more from just a term that we throw around as kind of a, a catch-all. Anytime you talk about Jesus, it's discipleship, but really what is discipleship? You know, how do we, how do we view friendships in light of the spread of the gospel? How do we view family relationships in light of the spread of the gospel? How do we how do we grow gospel fluency to where when we when we're talking to somebody about it, we're not just reciting something that we heard in Sunday school one time, but that we are actually fluent in how to talk to somebody and really just kind of want to to just kind of hunker down and spend time really growing in our understanding of the gospel. Because I, I feel like, you know, we've talked about this a little bit as a staff. When we when we really prioritize discipleship evangelism and outreach and things like that become an overflow of discipleship. But too easily we can we can move past discipleship on the road to outreach and evangelism. And so my 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 goal, like I said, specifically with our students, but but my my hope for our church is that 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 we will kind of root into having a passion for discipleship. Um, that will overflow into action after discipleship. And mine is really kind of working. I mean, all of these are building with each other. And that's the great thing is that I think all three of us, when we're looking to the future, I think that discipleship and that idea of how we have authentic relationships with Christ, that's our goal. I think for all of us, I feel like for me, one of the, one of these, kind of specific areas I feel like I want to focus on in 2021 is just helping do discipleship when it comes to our marriages um, and how to disciple couples in uh, 
and when you hear that, you probably think that's talking about, well, let's just do some how to be a better couple Bible study or something. But, but no, that idea of, like Brother Ben was just saying, it, when you're growing together towards Christ, you're growing closer to one another. And the idea, like you're talking about, of having a real, genuine faith, a, a faith that causes us to have a biblical worldview, that we look at everything in our life based on the way Christ sees the world. And, and so when we do that and we have gospel marriages— and not just the same marriage that everyone else has. I just think, how could that impact our families, our children, this town, this church? All of that can be affected. And so often we might pursue the idea of, okay, well, I need individually to grow in Christ, and my wife needs to do that. But we don't ever think about the fact that as we we are trying to grow and that maybe we should be doing some of this together and learning together. And so I'm really kind of um, praying about as we, we go into 2021, trying to better equip our families and um, do some more intentional discipleship with married couples, not just on how to be better married, but in how to grow their faith and then how that affects their marriages um, because it's all intertwined. And, yes. uh, you know, unfortunately I've just seen so many people, uh, that's one thing lately She's been breaking my heart on Facebook. These couples that I know that suddenly, you know, who've been in church and everything, suddenly are getting divorces and just how much that um, affects everything around them. And so uh, that's really where where I feel like God is is kind of pointing me right now of not just discipleship, but really in that kind of particular vein of discipleship. Uh, but overall, I think discipleship is will be the word of 2021, yeah, right? I think so. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up real quick. Brother Ben uh, has a Bible study to teach, so um, I'll mix it up. I'll pull the random question of the day. Have we done this one before? Would you rather carry the Ten Commandments down from the mountain or help rebuild the walls surrounding Jerusalem? We have not done that one. Okay. I thought we had for some reason. Okay, We carried the ark over the, over the river. Okay, well. I think we went through the woods, too. Over the mountain? To Grandma's house. Okay, good. All right, so would you rather carry the Ten Commandments down from a mountain or help rebuild the walls surrounding Jerusalem? Is this before or after the golden calves? We don't have any clarification there, so that's going to be up to you. Just remember, if you drop them, you don't go to the promised land. Hmm, man, that's tough. I'd, I'd I'd have to say carry the the Ten Commandments. You know that's just me. I'd agree. I mean, if you're looking at it from the what's an honor, then yeah, the Ten Commandments definitely went out. Um, I think I'm gonna I think it's we're gonna go with the consensus vote here. It's Ten Commandments times three. So that's it. All right, last thing this Sunday. Yes. So um, believe it or not, it it actually because. God's crazy like that. It actually kind of works in with what we talked about this past Sunday. We're going to be in um, Leviticus chapter 26. This is something a, a few months back that, that God kind of put on my heart that I've been working through and trying to, 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 to come up with exactly how to talk about it. But we're going to be looking at um, being content and how to be content in God and in our relationship with him. 
um, in a in a world surrounded by all of these external things coming at us, trying to to fight for our attention and how we can be content in Him, um, knowing that that we have a relationship with Him that will last for an eternity while we are here for a season, and so how we can how we can work our work our life to, to view the gospel in light of an eternity rather than an instant gratification, how we can be content in the promises that God has made for us rather than what the world tries to give us in, in place of that. So. Very good. All right. Well, that sounds exciting. I'm a little disappointed that you're not going to teach us how to fight our battles, but uh, <laughs> I guess we'll work with that. We could play the Michael W. Smith song. This is how we fight our battles. Oh, wow. That would we be. We should do that. Yeah. That's, uh, hey, so a little side note here. Uh, that's the worst Christian song <laughs> in the history of the world. So it's, I, it's his I, favorite I'm, song. I'm standing defending. So the inside joke there that I will have to bring up now is uh, Zach has been torturing me with that song for the last couple of weeks. He put a speaker on top of or on the floor of his office, which is directly above mine. and was playing it through the ceiling just to torment me. Wow. Yes. He's uh, created a bunch of memes about it. Um, yes. So the official stance of the Pastor Chat podcast is it's the worst Christian song in the history of the world. Do not <laughs> play that song. It gets stuck I'm in your head. Around forest. <laughs> no, not at all. So uh, if you can a- come up with a worse one, you send it to me and we'll review it. I think we got some T-shirt folks out there. Uh, <laughs> Force would love a new T-shirt. <laughs> Uh, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by jerks in this room. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, folks, <laughs> we'll see you again next week.